crying when Optimus Prime died. Or the days when every series had a ham-fisted anti-drug episode. Or when you wrote fan fiction about how the Animaniacs were so hot in that water tower, so they took off all their clothes and they started... No! No, different podcast. This one is Knowing is Half the Podcast, a show devoted to the best and worst animated memories of your childhood. Every week we recap a cartoon from the past to see if they're as good as you remember. They're not. What are you talking about? They're great! You're both wrong. None of them get good until they're in a water tower. No! And Knowing is Half the Podcast. Can I get y'all anything else? Welcome to Breakfast with Brent Pope. I hope you saved room for dessert. I'm almost full. Almost. Who doesn't love dessert? You have earned this. Breakfast. Homemade pecan pie. I love Whatever it. happened to angel food cake? Any type of rhubarb pie. Rhubarb strawberry. Rhubarb peach. That's sour and sweet together. It's hard to beat. Who saved room for dessert? It's dessert breakfast. I'll get that right to you. You were also on a show that I watched that I found fascinating because it's 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 very unique called uh, the Young Pope with uh, Jude Law. Yeah, um, tell me about that. That was an incredible experience. I mean, that's you know working with Paolo Sorrentino. I think he's just like a genius artist. You know, he's really. Yeah really incredible and uh you know i felt like i got to i'm really you know i love storytelling i mean i think that's why i do what i do um and so there was such clarity in the story i feel like he was wanting to tell and the way he wanted to tell it uh you know the visuals well you know from seeing the show yeah he's such an incredible visual storyteller and also, well, it was interesting working on the show. You know, I've, I've done big budget stuff before, but there was a feeling doing this show, you know, HBO, and uh, where it was like, there's just no one's in a rush. No one, there, no one ever felt frenzied. It was like, you know what? We're just going to spend a day on this or two days on this. And I'm just not used to that from, uh, you know, even network television is so fast, I find. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah, I only shot one HBO show, and that was Silicon Valley, but that was pretty fast, I think. Oh, really? Uh, but yeah, but where did you guys? Where were you guys shooting uh, the Young? It's Pope? funny. I joke about this because you know the Young Pope shot in so many incredible places, obviously, and uh, not that New York isn't an incredible place, but yeah, my my stuff shot here in New York. I mean, here in LA. Where am I? I'm in LA. <laughs> my stuff shot in LA. Okay. I found a lot of when I was watching The Young Pope, I, at least my, my and maybe this is just my own perspective. I yep. found a lot of similarities between uh, the character that Jude Law played as the Young Pope and the current regime uh, <laughs> that we have uh, <laughs> leading the country. Am I yeah. wrong about that? Uh, no, you're not so wrong about that. Yeah, yeah. Where uh, where I think Jude Law thought he was getting things done, but maybe the, the really the way he was getting things done was definitely. Uh, frowned upon in many ways, yeah. and also the things he were, the actual things he was doing, a lot of people did not like either. So yeah, what a brilliant character, right? And he he, he was oh my god, incredible. Yeah. Well, congrats on that. Uh, I you know Thank you, you you've just done so much cool stuff. I was I had seen uh, the movie Wildling uh, mm -hmm. with Liv Tyler, which I think yeah. is a very uh, interesting take on that type of movie. Yeah, which is. You know, it's not quite a horror film, but it's—I mean—it's closer to like, uh, like a monster film, maybe, right? right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and Belle uh, Powley is like, she's phenomenal, isn't she? Oh, she was great. Yeah, and, she's oh such gosh, an interesting actor. I'm, I'm forgetting his name. He played uh, the doctor on uh, on Deadwood. Brad Dorff? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Brad Dorff. Oh, oh my gosh. What, yeah. What a great actor. Oh, my uh, God. I, I'm, I think I'm a little bit older than you, but I think I, he takes me right back to Cuckoo's Nest. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, and it's like... Oh, I never... I've seen Cuckoo's Nest many times, and I never. As soon as you said uh, that, I know immediately what character he was, but yeah. I never knew that was him. Yeah, so wow. working with him was pretty cool. I, you know, I was a little like, "Oh my god, you're." Uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. He's pretty phenomenal. I think Cuckoo's Nest, when I saw it when I was very young, was one of those first movies that just the ending of it blew my mind. Me too. Me too. And I just. Maybe the first time I ever cried watching a movie at the end. Yeah. Not out of sadness, really, but out of, like, triumph, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of those movies. I haven't seen it in many years, and I keep – I want to go back and see it now because I saw it when I was a kid, too. And, uh, you know, it, it had a huge impact on me. Yeah. Well, we just talked about Taxi a little while ago. I think there were – were there two t- people from Taxi? I know DeVito's in it, right? And right. uh, uh, um, uh, Doc Brown, I can't think of names today. You know, believe uh, it or not, I never watched Taxi that much. Oh, really? If you can, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll have a long conversation. Taxi was, you know, so Tony Danza was on them. I know. Uh, uh, Mary Lou Henner was on that. Uh, yeah. The guy that tragic figure, uh, I can't think of his name. He played Kanicki on Grease. But, oh yeah! But on Broadway, he played Danny Zuko, and then right. so he just kept having this thing where he kept getting replaced. Uh, and then they, he thought he was going to be the the big, the main lead on Taxi, and then it was a very ensemble piece. So mm-hmm. I think he felt very, you know, burnt. He kept like missing out on his big break, I guess. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, you know what's interesting? I was just thinking about it because you know there are a lot of shows that I sort of missed, and and I was like, why didn't I watch Taxi? And I think in some ways, I think that was really. I was living in New York at the time, and when I lived in New York, I didn't really watch that much television. I was usually out at the theater more and what not to sound like, uh, I was out at the theater, but, you know, I would go see plays. And since moving to Los Angeles, I've watched, I watch a lot more television. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, uh, if you're, I think if you're out there and you want to write like a, a big ensemble comedy – you have to watch Taxi because, like we said, it's Judd Hirsch, Danny DeVito, Mary Lou Henner, Tony right. Danza, Andy Kaufman, who is my yeah. guy. That's my biggest influence is Andy Kaufman. Uh, the name I was trying to think of, and I'm going to sound stupid now, Christopher Lloyd. Oh, of played, course. Was a great character on that. Carol Kane, who's still around. I mean, yeah. just doing amazing stuff. Uh, Jeff Conaway is the guy from Greece I was thinking of. They're mm. coming to me slowly. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Someone's uh, feeding them to you. I, I wish. <laughs> You've got an earpiece on, right? No. <laughs> I know how but this yeah, works. No. If you haven't watched Taxi, I you know I recommend you go back and watch it because it's it's fabulous. I watch it if anytime I see it come on, I watch it and it's like it's it's an evergreen show that just is. I, I think is the characters are written so well. Um. Anyway, we were talking about uh, Brad Dorif and uh, yeah, Waddling. Yeah. Yeah. And Wildling. And so you also, so let me ask this question. You did scenes with Brad Dorf and Liv Tyler. Which mm-hmm. one of them is more attractive? I'm kidding. That's not- <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> And you know what? It was so great to work with Liv. She, you know, the first 
I think it was, yeah, it was the first scene I shot with her. She's very present. And that's, you know, it's, it, that's something that's so remarkable. It seems like such a sort of simplistic or basic thing to say about, you know, working with someone, but it's not always the case. You know, you can have these brilliant actors who are a little, uh, not as engaged with their, the person they're working with, whereas no. she is so present with you that it, it kind of threw me at first. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's really nice to hear because, you know, uh, there are a lot of great actors that will do that, but then there are also the ones where they're like, look, I'm going to be my trailer. Can you put up this cardboard thing so they can look at what is supposed to be me, you know? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and even then when they're in front of you, sometimes they're still kind of doing their own thing. You know, they've right. got their thing that they do and they may do it very well. And, uh, but yeah, she was fantastic to work with just like Timothy Oliphant. He's another one that was like, you know, really, oh, really wonderful to work with. Timothy Oliphant. Oh yeah. I forgot he was in that movie. That guy is one of the, one of my favorites too. I just made my wife watch the movie go recently, which she hadn't seen from the nineties, oh, uh, which is wow. pretty great. Um, uh, yeah, I worked and, with him on justified and, uh, Timothy Oliphant. Nice. And he was just like, again, like, you know, during lunch, he would come up to me and say, hey, you want to talk about this scene here? And I thought, wow, that's so cool. That's so cool. He really cares about the work. Timothy Oliphant's got that interesting uh, interesting mixture of things where he really is a handsome guy uh, and has a really nice smile, but he also looks like he might kill you at yeah. any moment. You know what I mean? And he plays that really well. Exactly. <laughs> Not everyone can do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very uh, good description. Yeah. I read this, that you actually, when you were younger, you were a competitive ice skater. Yeah. And I don't know anyone who's done that. So tell me, I mean. It's, it's so interesting, you know, when, uh, yeah. Uh, it, it, I have such sort of a mixed relationship to my competitive skating, figure skating background. Yeah. Um, but it's really, you know, it's, it, it's part of it, you know, it's definitely informed who I am and who I've become in two ways. I mean, probably many ways, but you know, in the first place, I think what's so great about being involved, you know, at sort of an elite level in a sport like that at a young age is the discipline and the work ethic that it gave me. I mean, it really, you know, I'm someone that if I'm passionate about something, I love to work and I'm used to working very hard on something. And I'm used to that level of commitment that, uh, you know, I'm always the guy in rehearsal that's like, no, let's not take a break. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's, you know, and, uh, but at the same time, I, I, you know, I don't know how much I want to get into all of this, but, uh, you know, I was a figure skater in a small town where every boy played hockey. And, uh, uh, yeah. you know, so it wasn't the easiest thing, but, and especially, yeah, I, you know, it was, I, I was kind of, you know, I definitely had my share of bullying from it and, uh. And then I left the skating world and sort of, uh, um, you know, basically what it was, I was outed in the oh, skating wow. world and was then sort of like shunned, which is kind of crazy when I think about it. But, uh, you know, but it really sort of sent me into a tailspin when I was, I was young. I was like 16 when I quit and I ended up quitting in the middle of a national competition, 
you know, for anyone who's watch skating, you know, on TV, when you see the five minute warm up that they show bits of before people, yeah. compete, I quit in the middle of the five minute warm up by faking an injury. You I just kinda, had a, you just had I, enough. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I kind of, you know, I think there were, were a lot of things going on. I, I was skating is, uh, there's a lot of extreme pressure that comes with that world. And then, you know, it was right around the time when I was being uh, outed and it was really difficult. It was a lot to handle. And that seems insane to me, especially in the figure skating world. I mean, it's not like it's a unique thing to have someone that's that's gay in the in the figure skating world, right? Yeah, I know, but it's it's so strange that there's so much there's and I don't know about it now, but I've heard, you know, I stay somewhat connected to the world still, the skating world to some extent. The amount of homophobia there is in the sport of figure skating is alarming, you know. And I know it's changed and I'm sure I can't really speak to it what it's really like now, but when I was, you know, back then when I was skating, there was a lot of homophobia, you know, wow. just like in, in our industry and in the, you know, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Um, it's changed and it's changing. Thank God. But when I first came out to LA, you know, I was like, I was closeted for quite a bit of time Yeah, and was advised to remain that way. Wow. Well, yeah. I'm glad you're not, I'm yeah, glad you don't feel too. like you have to be. Cause that's thank ridiculous, God. man. Um, right. Let me ask you this. Uh, do you ever still ice skate? Do you ever go out there and, and like, let me go rent out a rink today and just go ice skate or go to one of those, uh, you go to New York and uh, go ice skate at uh, Rockefeller Center? I don't really. I, there was, I guess it was probably about 10 or 12 years ago. I did for a little bit because, and I want to get back to this at some point. What I did was I actually put together a pitch reel for a, a docu-series that deals with uh, – there's this whole world that exists in the skating world that's a very sort of Christopher Guest-like world, like a real-life Christopher Guest thing that – Yeah. The adult skating world. There's like this whole competitive adult skating world that is made up of people who maybe wanted to skate as kids and never did, and they start skating when they're like 30, 40, 50, and – so I actually was like developing a docu-series around that. And uh, at that point, I went back to skating a little bit just to get back on the ice. And, uh, you know, I want to get back to that at some point. You know, I'll probably yeah. go back and pitch that again because it was a lot of fun. And I think there's, there's an audience out there for that. Very cool. Well, let me ask you this, uh, because there's all these interesting moves in, in ice skating. What when you were ice skating, what is the most difficult move that you were able to achieve? I did. I was able to do three triples at that time, which were uh, triple, Whoa. Sal, triple Sal, Triple Toe, and Triple Loop, which, you know, I, I was ranked nationally. So I was like, you know, I was a high-level skater. But at that time, people – I think it was Vern Taylor was the first person who landed, landed a triple axle right around then. Yeah. But, you know – Things have changed so much. People, you know, people are doing quads. And- well, do those quads, but those quads just seem like so aggressive. They have yeah. to, like, you know what I mean? It's just not nearly as, as look, the, the, the quad is cool, but like the, the doubles and the triples are more, you're allowed to be a little more graceful because you don't have to put yeah. as much force into it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's me I watching it. The, a- I think one of the incredible things about skating is that it's sort of such an, uh, an amazing blend of artistry and athleticism. And you know, there are times when one gets more out of balance than the other. And I think when it can, when they can both be in balance with one another, that's when it's really reaches its high point. I think. 